Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. We are right in the middle of a teaching series called You'll Be Glad You Did. For the entire month of July, as a church family, we are examining what the Bible says about you and I living generously with our time, skills, and resources. And what it looks like for us as Jesus followers to leverage our lives for what matters the most. And for the past two weeks, we've been wrestling with a very, very significant question. We've talked about it every week, and we're going to talk about it again today. Here's the question. How am I leveraging my time, my skills, and my resources for maximum kingdom impact. There are really three big areas in that question. The first area is time. We talked about this specifically last Sunday. All of us have been given a limited amount of years and opportunities here on the earth. And we're to live out that time wisely. The second area is the area we're going to talk about today. It's the area of skills. We've all been gifted by God with skills and abilities that we can utilize to bless God and to bless other people. The last area in that question is the area of resources. All of us have been entrusted with resources, financial resources, possessions, And we are to steward those resources in a way that is honoring to God. And I hope this series has allowed you, like it's allowed me, to really evaluate what that looks like in my life. The way I'm leveraging those things for the sake of the kingdom of God. A statement that we make a lot here at Hope, it's a quote that Pastor Vance has shared all over the country and all over the world. It's by a man named William James. He says, the great use of a life is to spend it for something that outlasts it. And I hope as you're processing through this series and thinking about your time, skills, and resources, that you're understanding the opportunity before us to leverage those things for something that is bigger than us. Today, 
we're going to really look at what Scripture teaches regarding how we leverage our skills, our abilities, what we've been trained to do. How do you leverage that for maximum kingdom impact? If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, and in just a moment, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. This chapter of Scripture has been very significant in my life personally. I've studied it hundreds and hundreds of times, and God has used it greatly to teach me some things about Him. This is the most verbalized communication that we have between God the Son and God the Father. In most cases, this chapter of Scripture is called the High Priestly Prayer. Jesus is moments away from being betrayed, arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And he's spending these last moments before his heavenly Father in prayer. That's what John chapter 17 is. A very significant passage of Scripture. Martin Luther said this about John 17. He said, this is truly... Beyond measure, a warm and hearty prayer. He opens the depths of his heart, both in reference to us and to his Father, and he pours them all out. It sounds so honest, so simple. It is so deep, so rich, so wide, no one can fathom it. You see, in this prayer that Jesus is lifting up to his Father, he really prays for three things. First of all, he prays for himself. He knows what awaits him, and so he's spending time before his Father praying for himself. Another group that he's praying for is he's praying for his disciples. He knows what's about to take place once he's crucified, and he knows what's going to take place once he comes back from the dead. So he's praying for his disciples. But the third group he prays for is so significant, it's so unbelievable. The third group he prays for in John chapter 17 is us. He prays for all of those who would believe in his name for centuries to come. Even in John chapter 17, Jesus was praying for his future disciples. What an amazing moment in history. Jesus is about to be crucified, and a lot of us know what happens with that. And he's in these intimate moments before his father. What would he say? What's on Jesus' heart and mind in those moments? Look with me in John chapter 17, starting in verse 13. This is Jesus praying. He says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And here's what he said in verse 18. 
As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Out of this text, I want us to look at two defining statements from Scripture this morning. And then I want to draw one major application that applies to every person who's in the room. Here's the first defining statement out of this text. The church is the people of God. The church is the people of God. When you hear the word church, what do you think about? When you hear it in a conversation at work or at home or here, what do you think about when you think about the word church? For some people, the first thing that comes to your mind is a building. It's a campus. You would say, yeah, my church is at 850 Cactus Avenue. Some people think the church is a building. Others would say the church is not a building. The church is a service. I go every week to my church at 11 o'clock, and that's what church is unfortunately both of those are unbiblical answers because the church is the people of God in response to the resurrection of Jesus a small group of his disciples pulled together and they changed the world now they didn't have facilities they didn't have leather-bound Bibles they didn't have websites or staff teams but they knew they had been changed by the ministry and message of Jesus. And they desire to take that ministry and message to the whole world. You say, how is that possible? How can a little group of people do that? Well, they can do that because the church is not a location and the church is not an event. The church is a people. The church is a group of people. And in that moment, in response to the resurrection of Jesus, the church was born. In John chapter 17, when Jesus is passionately praying, he's not praying for an address or for an event. He's praying for a group of people. He's praying for his followers. He's praying for the church. In the eight verses that we just read, there are almost 20 references to a specific group of people. In verse 13, he says, they... In verse 14, he says them. In verse 15, he says them. In verse 16, he says they. In verse 17, he says them. What group is Jesus talking about? He's talking about his church. He's talking about his followers, the people of God. Everywhere in the New Testament where the word church is referenced, it never refers to a building or a location. It always refers to to a group of people. You see, the church is the people of God. The word church in the New Testament is the small Greek word 
ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it literally means the called out ones. A called out assembly or congregation or group of people. As you study the Bible, one of the best methods that I've learned is called the law of first mention. What does that mean? That means to really get some clarity about what a word or concept in the Bible means. You need to look at the very first place it was mentioned in Scripture. So I want to read for you this morning the very first place this word ecclesia was used in the New Testament. It was used by Jesus himself. So the head of the church is about to give us a little bit better picture as to what the church really is. It's in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. My church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, unfortunately, this is a verse that the English language really doesn't do justice to. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus is having a conversation with a whole group of people, a group of disciples. He asks them a couple questions. He says, who do people say that I am? What are they saying about me? And they speak back. And then he looks at this group and he says, okay, you guys, who do you say that I am? Well, in that group, there was a leader. His name was Peter. And so Peter, as the leader of this group that Jesus is talking about, he speaks back to Jesus. And then Jesus replies here in verse 18 by addressing Peter, but that's not really the totality of what he's addressing. You see, the word Peter here could literally be translated small stone. Okay? The word rock in this verse, could literally be translated mountain of rocks. So put it together. Jesus is talking to a group, and he says, Peter, you are a small stone. And from these group of stones, this mountain of stones, I will establish my church. You see, the church has always been people. It's always been a group, a called out group, an assembly, a congregation that would follow after Jesus. The church is the people of God. That's one of the things Jesus was praying here. You see, this congregation left that moment and they began sharing the message. And that generation told another generation... And that generation told another generation and so forth and so on until one day somebody told us. You see, you are not at church. You are the church. And in these final moments before his heavenly father, Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying for the people of God. Here's a second defining statement out of this text. The church has been sent to share in the mission of God. You see, not only does Jesus pray here for this group, the called out ones, 
But in verse 18, he shares something very, very significant about the reason this group exists. Look at what he said in verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them. The word sent is the word deployed. It means to dispatch someone with a very specific mission. Jesus is saying to his father, Lord, just as you dispatched me into the world, I have dispatched my ecclesia, the called out ones, as servants on a mission for your glory. John Phillips said this about verse 18. As the Lord Jesus lived on the earth to represent the Father, so we now live on the earth to represent Christ. The church, the people of God, have been sent to share in the mission of God. But he goes on in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I love this. Jesus knew that his church, his people, were going to be from all different cultures, colors, languages, passions, and preferences. He knew that. But he says there's one thing that is going to be a common denominator no matter where in the world you find the people of God. And it's this, the mission. He says, God, I know they're going to have different ideas and different preferences and enjoy different things, but there's one thing that I pray wherever you find my church around the world that they would be one when it comes to people believing in your name. After Jesus comes back from the dead, he's in his final moments with his disciples. Here's the last thing he said to them. It's in Acts chapter 1. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So let's put this together. In his final moments before his father, while he was on the earth, here's what he's praying about. God, just like you sent me. I've sent my church. I've sent my people. His final moments with his father. In his final moments with his disciples, what's he talking about? He's telling them, he's challenging them to go beyond mission locally and globally. The church is the people of God. The church has been sent to share into the mission. So here's the big application for all of us who follow Jesus here this morning. You have been sent as a missionary into the world. I want you to get your pointer finger out and look at the person beside you and say, you have been sent. Now I want you to do it again like you mean it. <laughs> you have been sent. It's true. 
Based off those two principles from Scripture, you and I have been sent as missionaries into the world. God's desire is for His church to bring about transformation all over the world. Well, how does that happen? How does that take place? It happens as His church, as His ecclesia, His called out ones begin living on mission every single day. You see, when you and I apply what we just said, that we're missionaries, it changes the way we live our lives. It changes our perspective on everything that we do. One of the things I love about Hope Church is our passion to launch people out of here, to send people all over the world. You saw us this morning. We got to commission a team to New Jersey. I love that. And every time we commission a team, we do a couple things. We share with you where that team is going. Um, We share with you what that team's going to be doing. And then we pray a prayer of commissioning. We pray our prayer of sending for that team. And in the opportunities I've had to be on one of those teams and travel all over the world, I tell you, when I get on the field after I've been sent from this church, I really, really take it to heart. I mean, I'm waking up early in the morning praying for God to make me sensitive to what he's doing. I'm asking him to use me because there are normally language and cultural barriers that I don't know how to get over. And I'm just asking God every day in any capacity that I can be salt and I can be light. There's a church in Las Vegas that has sent me here to live my life on mission. One of the things that I really had to wrestle with this week is this. If that's the way I act when I'm there, why don't I act that way when I'm here? I'm no more of a missionary in the Middle East than I am here in Las Vegas. Here's the sad reality. I don't always see myself as a missionary here in the own city that I live in. A missionary really does have a simple definition. It means a person sent on a mission. The word missionary just means sent one. If I were to ask you this morning, what is the primary reason that you've been given the skills that you have, what would you say? For some people, their immediate response would be, well, the reason I have the skills that I have is to make money and provide for my family, which I would totally agree with, but I would say that's not the primary reason. For other people, they may say, I've been given the skills that I have so I can make a positive contribution to society. Once again, absolutely true, but it's not the primary reason that you and I have been given the skills that we have. The primary reason you have been gifted and skilled the way that you have is to live as a missionary locally and globally. That's the primary reason. In his prayer... Jesus said, I've sent them into the world 
He didn't say, I sent them to seminary. He didn't say, I've sent them to an isolated location. He said, I've sent my ecclesia into the world. If I can just have a moment with you today. I'm so glad that the plan was not everybody becomes a preacher. Now don't get me wrong. I think preachers are brilliant, amazingly smart, good-looking people. Thank you. But I'm really glad that God didn't say, hey, here's the plan. Everybody's going to be a preacher. Here's why. Because not everybody enjoys doing this. But everybody has a skill or passion that can be connected to a job. And that job can serve as a platform of influence for the sake of the gospel. I love that. Not everybody in this room is going to get up and preach a sermon anytime soon. But everyone in the room has been gifted and skilled by God that you may be connected to a job. And that job is to be a platform of influence for the sake of the kingdom of God. Everybody's not a preacher, but everybody's a missionary. Bob Roberts made this statement. He said, the Great Commission isn't really about getting people to come listen to a preacher. Now hear me, don't stop coming to listen to the preacher. It's a call to those who are engaged in society. Everyday followers of Jesus who work in education, art, government, economics, and agriculture. Transformation and change won't come about because we have more preachers and churches. It will happen as ordinary believers engage in discipleship within the domains in which they have been placed. You see, Jesus modeled for his disciples what it meant to be both an alien from the world and yet committed to a mission in and to the world. Here's where I really want to challenge you this morning. You may never go on a short-term mission trip with Hope Church. I hope that you do. I beg you to go. But you may never do it. But regardless, if you ever go with us somewhere in this nation or to another nation, you are still a missionary right here in the city of Las Vegas. You're still a sent one. You are a part of the ecclesia, the people of God that have been sent into the world to live on mission. And here's the beautiful part. As you and I live that way throughout the week, we get to gather on Sunday. And here's what Sunday is. Sunday is just a celebration of what God has done in and through us throughout the week. So I hope you see, if you just limit your scope of church to what happens at 11 o'clock every Sunday, you have so missed the power of God's design for his kingdom. His design is that his church, his people, would embrace the reality that they've been sent as missionaries to live in the world using the platform of job and skill and passion and neighborhood 
to lead people into his kingdom. Lauren Cunningham made this statement. We need a whole new approach to business. We need people who will seek God and follow his will in their nine to five jobs. We need people whose first allegiance is to God and his kingdom, who see their jobs as a part of the overall task of bringing Jesus' lordship to the entire earth. What you do at your job every day matters to God. It's his plan that you would utilize the platform you have in your workplace to engage people for the kingdom. I have been given the job and skills that I have. The same applies to you in order to leverage them to influence people in my life. Here's what I believe. And some people may say, there's no way, but I believe it. If the people of hope would really, honestly, not just in a Sunday emotional moment, but really embrace the reality that when you wake up in the morning, you are a missionary in the city of Las Vegas, it would change our city. I believe it. It would change our city. I want to show you something. I want to put on the screen a map of the city of Las Vegas and If you've been here for a while, you've seen this before. Now, I want to show you every spot where we have someone living, someone working, or someone going to school. Look at that map. What if? What if everyone who represents a dot on that map said tomorrow... I'm entering into the world first and foremost as a missionary. And my passion is to leverage my skill, my job, for maximum kingdom impact. It would spread across the city. And here's the deal. We're not the only church in the city. It's not like everything rests on the shoulder of Hope Church. There are a lot of great churches across our city. But what if... What if just the people who call Hope Church their home begin to take this serious and realize that we are missionaries sent into the world? I want to invite Brian Hook, who is our lead pastor of Multiplying Disciples, to come up. And Brian's a guy who is extremely passionate about what we're talking about this morning and seeing people leverage their skills and passions for maximum kingdom impact. Brian joined our team last month, and Brian, I know you came here with a deep passion to see this fellowship mobilized to join in God's activity. Why? It's a good question. I want to refer to the map. If you would just put that map up there, and you know, as you were looking at that map, a passage in Scripture came to mind in Matthew 13. You know, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And it is spread throughout the world to really capture fish. You know, in Habakkuk, it says men are like fish. And Jesus refers to us like fish. And, and, you know, when you look at that that map, if you were to connect all those dots, it looks like a net. 
And each one of us are nodes on that net. Each one of us, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, we're a net. And the kingdom of God is throughout this city. And I love, as you unpack this, that it, it wasn't about going to church. It isn't about doing church. It's about being the church. And as we look at Las Vegas, this is why I'm passionate about this. Being brand new here to Las Vegas, and I come into a city, and I see Las Vegas, and I drive the streets, and I see the people, it's important for us to not look so much at what we see, but what we don't see. And Jesus says that we're part of the kingdom. And he says that when we pray, we are to pray that heaven comes to earth. And so we don't need to look at our city based upon what we see. We need to really start seeing our city, not only based upon where we live, but also what's going on in heaven. And he wants his kingdom to flow through you in your place of work, where you work, where you live, where you reside. That's how a city is changed. Is it going to happen overnight? You know, really, it's on God's timeline. I'm passionate about doing what God has called me today. You know, we came in here today. And some of us had our entire definition of church just shifted. And you know what's, what's great about not knowing things is you don't know anything. And you can plead ignorance. And you can say, wow, I didn't know that. But you know what? Tomorrow's different, isn't it? We just had our whole definition of church changed. Now, some of you, you understood all that. You got the ecclesia. You know the Greek. You got it. But some of you, as you were listening... And as you're listening and looking at that map, you're realizing it's not about going to church. It's about being the church. And so I'm passionate about seeing you mobilized. And, and my title is Multiplying Disciples. What does that mean? You know, a big part of being a disciple is the share aspect. You know, until you really serve, you really don't understand what it means to be a Christ follower. You're more like Christ when you're serving and you're loving. And you know what? When you're doing that, Christ becomes more real to you. So that's why I'm, I'm passionate about it. I know you've seen a lot of people who have uh, understood the platform they have through their skills and passions um, to join in God's activity. Give us, give us one example of a way you've seen God use someone um, in his kingdom. Well, as you quoted Bob Roberts, uh, Bob and I served together at Northwood Church. And about 18 years ago, that church engaged in the country of Vietnam, supposedly a closed country. And we began to do assessments in our congregation to find out what we have. You know, when you go to a country, there's so many needs. There's so many things that need to be done. But we don't go based upon the needs. We go based upon the assets of the congregation. And so we took an assessment similar to what we're going to take here in a few moments. And as we assessed the congregation, we found out that we had a large group of educators in our congregation. We also found out, as we served in Vietnam, that they had a problem in Vietnam, and they weren't able to help kids with special needs. So we were able to, to look at a country that needed help with educating adults to help kids, and we looked at our congregation that was full of special needs educators, and one person in our congregation got this. They got what you're talking about today, and they began to mobilize the special needs educators in our congregation, and they asked the country of Vietnam, could we help you? And Vietnam was, was completely open to allowing these educators to come in, not just to a school, not just to a community, but to the entire gatekeepers of the educational system in the country of Vietnam. And they were able to help 
over the last eight years, helped Vietnam minister to the kids. Now, they didn't look at it as ministry. They didn't look at it as the hands and feet of Jesus. But here's the thing. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. So where we go, the kingdom of God goes. Where we go, all authority in heaven and earth is given to us. And so we're able to go to any country. And so why am I passionate about this here at Hope? There is no closed country that Hope Church cannot go. There's no closed country. We can go into any country today if we are to use the jobs and skills. Many of you go and you're global in your job. We can go to any country and to help people. And it's possible that there could be one person here, just like this lady, that is able to go. And I'm telling you right now, Vietnam is a different country because of what one church, one person decided to do, allowing Christ to work through them. Religious persecution has come down, come down in that country. This church, Northwood Church, is able to go into provinces and areas of Vietnam that not even some of the, the top missionary organizations can go to because they are open and they are transparent and they do it through the local church. And I believe that that's what hope is going to be. And that's good, bro. We're so thankful that you're here. Thank you guys you, give Brian a hand. As we close today, here's, here's what's so encouraging to me. The skills and passions that we're talking about are already in the room. You don't need more training. You don't need more experience. You, you're ready in terms of your skill. What has to get right for us, if we're really going to leverage our skill for maximum kingdom impact, is we need to get our heart and our perspective in the right place. This week as I was studying, I came across a letter that was written by a lady named Karen Watson. She was an IMB missionary to the country of Iraq, and she served there faithfully for many, many years. Karen, while she was serving, was killed. She was shot along with several others as a martyr there in that country. But before Karen left, she wrote a letter And she gave it to her pastor. She attended a church called Valley Bible Church in Bakersfield, California. And she said, just in case I don't come back, I want you to read this letter to our church. So as we close and prepare to respond this morning, I want to read you Karen's letter. Because I believe it communicates the right heart of a missionary towards people. Here's what Karen said. She says, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. I love this part. She said, the missionary heart cares more than some think is wise, risks more than some think is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, and expects more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. 
There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family. In his care, Karen Watson. So part of that letter that I want to put on the screen, because I'll be honest with you, this week it messed me up when I read it. She's describing the missionary heart. She says this, the missionary heart cares more than some think is wise, risks more than some think is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, and expects more than some think is possible. Let me ask you something. When you think about the people at your job, when you think about your neighborhood, your family, our city, the world, can you say that's your heart? Can you say that there's a longing in you, there's a caring and a dreaming and expecting in you for God to use those circles of influence? to draw people to himself. Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. He doesn't say pray for the harvest. He says pray for the missionaries. This morning, our time of response is going to look a little bit different. I'm going to ask our musicians to go ahead and come. We're not going to have a a time to stand and sing like we normally do. I'm going to ask you to respond in a different way. Last week, we challenged you to evaluate the way you're serving this body, the way you're serving the body of Christ, and we had numerous people respond to that challenge. This week, I want to ask you to respond in a different way. As you sat down, there's a seat, there's a card on your seat, and there's a question on it that says, how can I leverage my skills for maximum kingdom impact? At the top of that card, you'll see this graphic. This graphic describes all the major pockets of our society. I want to ask you to take this card today and to fill it out. Now, you'll see numerous areas on there and I want to describe those for you. You'll see their education. These are people who work in schools, universities, special education or teachers. The next one there is arts and entertainment. This is people who are involved in dance, music, painting, events or photography. The next one you'll see is science and technology. These are people who are passionate about research engineers or computers next is government these are people who have influence with the rule and law in our community, city and nation next is medical that's if you work at a clinic you work with hygiene you're a doctor or you're a nurse and there's economics that is microfinance, business, banking and real estate Then there's agriculture and water. That's people who work with livestock, with crops, or water purification or distribution. And then lastly, communication. Telecommunications, internet, or linguistics. You'll see at the top of this card, 
there's a spot to check which one applies to you. There's also a space here that says other. If you don't know which area your job fits into, just write what your job is there at other. And we'll follow up and help you find the right spot. If you're here today and you're retired, you check the spot that applied to you during your career where you have skills. The next part just says, please describe in one sentence specifically what you do. If you work in education, on that line you would write, I teach the third grade. Please be very specific about what you do in your job. Then the last area just says additional skills and passions. Maybe what you do doesn't necessarily fit into one of those areas. But there's some stuff down here that you know you have training in. If you build houses, check construction. Fill out the one that applies to you. This is going to give us an opportunity as a church. In addition to you living on mission every day, to mobilize this body to serve locally and globally for the sake of the mission. So please fill this out as your response today to God's word. And in just a few moments when our offering basket comes by, just drop that in there. We're going to come back next Sunday with a report for you to show you the areas in our society where we have the most skilled people here in our church. So I want to pray over you as missionaries in our city, and then Brian's going to come and lead our time of giving. Lord, I pray over every person in this room. Lord, thank you for the skills that you've given us. Thank you for the abilities that you've entrusted to us. Lord, we desire to leverage those things well. I pray for every person who's filled out a card. God, would you make it clear to us, in addition to just their regular job, how they can be mobilized to live on mission locally and globally. Lord, give us a heart as missionaries in our city. We love you. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.